0: Hey everyone, thanks again for tuning into the Gravity Podcast. I have a couple of things to share with you before we jump into the episode. Number one, and most importantly, we've noticed an uptick in listeners to the podcast this year. So I wanna take a second to welcome new members to the Gravity community and let you know how much I appreciate you choosing to spend some time with me each week. This grand experiment only gets more meaningful as we add more experiences and perspectives to it. Second, I wanna let you know that we're taking a little break this summer in order to refresh and relaunch the entire show this September. In the meantime, please enjoy this replay of some of our top episodes over the last three years.
1: The more I receive, the more I can give, not the more I give, the more I will receive. That was the mom lesson that I learned after I lost everything that created this great shift.
0: Okay, we are here today with my good friend, David Meltzer. David Meltzer is the co-founder of Sports One Marketing and formerly served as CEO of the renowned Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment Agency, which was the inspiration for the movie Jerry Maguire. His life's mission is to empower over 1 billion people to be happy. This simple yet powerful mission has led him on an incredible journey to provide one thing, value. And all his content and communication, that's exactly what you'll receive. As part of that mission for the past 20 years, he's been providing free weekly training to empower others to empower others to be happy. David, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on the Gravity Podcast. I've enjoyed getting to know you and spending some time with you and learning from you. So it's awesome to have you here to share your journey with the audience. Yeah, I know, super excited. Love the title. Love the host and uh, love being here. So
1: thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, sure. Thank you. So uh as we've been kind of following a format, where we really want to share your full journey with the audience so they can really see themselves in you, learn from your experience. And and so we've been going all the way back to the beginning. Uh so if you could just start off by telling us a little bit about kind of your childhood, where you're from, what kind of family you grew up with, anything that maybe really jumps out. Sure. Well, first, I was born in Akron, Ohio. So I'm a huge Buckeye fan. And uh,
1: I grew up with uh, six kids, five boys and a girl, and extremely academically. My dad left when I was five. Uh, So I grew up with a single mom, six kids. She worked two jobs as a second grade teacher and then filling turnstiles at the Lawsons and convenience stores with greeting cards, packing our dinners in a paper bag. Uh, but I was really happy as a child. And uh, the only time I wasn't happy was when I catch my mom with financial stress, you know, worrying about how she was gonna feed us, clothe us. The car would break down, a dishwasher, and I'd catch her crying. And even at a very young age, I remember thinking to myself, man, if I could just buy my mom a house and a car. Cause we had a two bedroom apartment. Uh, right down the street from a loss in akron I was like man if I could just buy our house a car I'd be happy my whole life uh, I remember telling myself at five if I could make one million dollars if I could make one million dollars then my mom I could buy our house a car and I could retire <laughs> and uh obviously things have changed over the years and uh but it was you know my mom uh believed in uh investing in yourself uh she's a typical Jewish mom so doctor, lawyer, or failure. Fetus wasn't fully developed till after graduate school. Uh, I always say there's two things she taught me as a parent to be a successful parent. One, she woke all of us up at 5 a.m. knowing that if uh, we could uh, do whatever we wanted, if we could stay up to do it. And uh, that seemed to work with all those kids. I tried so many Friday nights and Saturday nights to stay out late. And I was the kid sleeping on the couch at the party with marker on his forehead uh, because and stay late to get in trouble. Uh, and then she had another gift as a parent. She was a black belt in the martial arts. And when people see my typical Jewish mom, they're like, your mom's a black belt in the martial arts? I go, yeah, third degree black belt in the martial art of Jewish kilt. And <laughs> that drove our family. One of the interesting things about my family is they're hyper-academic. My siblings all went to Harvard, Penn, Columbia. They graduated summa cum laude. I always joke around. Uh, I could graduate summa cum laude from Harvard in my family and be one of many. Uh, So it wouldn't really get attention. So I focused my attention on sports uh, because I literally could be the third string of a Pop Warner football team and be better than almost every single person in my family. So that's how I was going to distinguish myself. So when I got a scholarship to play football in college, I got so much attention. And as a middle uh, child, you know it was extraordinary for me. I was the you know the super jock of the family. I was the tall, dark, and handsome one at five foot seven and one hundred and forty seven pounds. My grandma uh, had eight brothers, two two sisters, and eight brothers. None of them were taller than five two. I mean, it literally was like the dwarfs in Disney, and it was crazy. Uh, so my dream as a kid was just to be rich and to be a professional football player. Uh, and you know, I really was driven uh, to. Overachieved because I always say that's the closest I ever got to my potential was to be an average Division three football player. I wanted to play for Ohio State, and when they got done laughing at my uh, request, I went to Division three. And you know, it's important though because I think at a very young age I realized that everyone has different potential. And it was you know, the size of the dog; it was the size, of the size. The, 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 it's not the size of. The dog in the fight is the size of the fight in the dog. Uh, that's kind of how I live my life, to overachieve and to enjoy that pursuit. And you know, I carried that on uh, to, with my financial realm from there as well.
0: It, it, yeah, there's a lot there. That's really an interesting story. And and just right out of the gate, so I um, I was not born uh, in Akron, Ohio, but I did spend the first ten years of my life in Akron, Ohio. So I'm familiar with Lawson's and uh, a, a bit of that world and what that looks like. And you know, my parents got divorced when I was ten. We moved to Columbus, and and in many ways, I kind of had a uh, Single mother for the first ten years of my life as my dad was kind of off in his own uh, world, and so I I can relate to a lot of what you're saying. Um, also, kind of finding sports not to the level of playing in college, but you know as one of a few outlets for me, not being quite as academically focused. And 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 actually, you know, it's funny. I remember when I was in Akron. I I I don't remember how old I was, but I remember a particular. Um, uh, birthday where I made a wish and the and the wish was to have a have a home that you know in my mind I had envisioned as being you know a success and and in particular I wanted a tennis court in that home and uh and, and it's funny cuz now I have that and I and I love it you know like I really enjoy it it's really everything I ever dreamed it to be but I i only tell you that because I am kind of understanding and relating to this like idea of if i could only make a million dollars you know and and what you want to do and your dreams when you're a kid and kind of then how that actually can have some thread of how it ends up really uh, determining how your life goes to some degree so, I, I get it, and I, and i I want to just kind of like touch a little bit more on your mom because she sounds like an extraordinary woman to be raising that many kids as a single mother and to kind of be leaving you with the values of waking up at five a m and and you know the focus on academics and working hard. I mean, and being a black belt on top of everything, like really like, uh, I mean, this is an extraordinary woman, right?
1: Yeah, you know it's so interesting because. It's a conflict for me because, as extraordinary that she is as a catalyst, not just to my own siblings, but through her career—forty-seven years in education—I still have fifty-year-old, you know, men walking up to me in tears, going, "Oh my gosh, your mom's Karen. She's my favorite teacher. She changed my life." I'm like, "Dude, you're fifty-year-old doctor. You know, you have my mom as a second-grade teacher." But then I think about I know my mom and how extraordinary she was, and you know the one thing that I learned as I got older about my mom and the complexity of it is you know, just because someone loves you doesn't mean they always give you good advice, and it also doesn't mean they're perfect. Uh, and so she's not perfect in the respect that she never knew how to receive. So I would joke around, you know, as I got more wealthy and more successful, I could give my mom a million dollars right now and it'd be gone by the end of the year. It's like she he would give it all away to everybody else. And, you know, I had to take some of that energy and lessons, uh, you know, through my own trials and tribulations to learn how to receive, because I had only grown up with someone that gave and, you know, taught me the more that you give, the more you receive, but she never really taught me how to receive. And so I felt guilty about everything I had. I didn't feel worthy of anything I had. Uh, and she had a lot of that energy and a lot of those philosophies. Um, that have carried over that i had to learn to break that chain
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and so i'm just curious that's really uh important i appreciate you sharing that because you know there are these kind of um you know components of of all human beings that are imperfect and flawed and some more than others and and that's you know very normal and, and and it does tend to have an impact on who we are and how we live and i'm curious kind of how that did start to shape you both the good and bad as you you know start to move into college and you have these siblings and was it really as easy as finding yourself in sports or or was there you know kind of some you know kind of stories about the academics i know you end up going to law school eventually so you know kind of how did you grapple with you know your your kind of environment learning both from your mom from your kids I mean from your siblings you know the good and bad of all of that
1: yeah you know it's interesting because i did my freshman year in college get run over my very first play in college christian okoye who's known as the nigerian nightmare uh, oh, yeah. he ran me over so i always joke around to christian who's a friend of mine now i said dude i got your first autograph and he's like what are you talking about my first autograph i said I was a freshman at Occidental College and you ran me over. I still have your size 13 shoe right on my chest because you stepped on me. And I remember lying on my back thinking to myself, doctor, lawyer, or failure. <laughs> that was the end of, I always say, that was the end of my NFL dream. And, yeah. uh, but it's true. You know, I originally, I'm hyper competitive. I want to be a doctor like my brother. And he really taught me one of the most valuable lessons of my life, though, because I was 18 years old, pre-med at a really good school. And I went to visit him at the hospital. And I told him, I'm like, dude, I hate hospitals. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I hate hospitals. He goes, Dave, you're pre-med. I go, yeah, but I'll be a sports doctor. I'll be in the training rooms on the sidelines. I'm not going to be in a hospital. And he looked at me. And here's the advice. If you're going to write one thing down, write it down. He said, David, you need to be more interested than interesting. He's like, you know, doctors all have to be in hospitals. You have paid no attention. You're just going off the cuff and you really aren't interested in what you're doing. I suggest you become more interested in everything. Don't be well trained, be well educated. And I have used that philosophy in my entire life to expand and accelerate and grow. I'm always looking to be more interested. I'm always looking to learn asking extra questions, one more question, I'm constantly telling myself. The same way I used to ask myself one more rep, you know, when you're working out, I ask myself, ask one more question, figure it out, ask one more question, learn something that nobody else knows. It's really helped me, you know, with my podcast, The Playbook, that does so well. I think that habit has helped me throughout my entire career and has changed my life. And so I went to law school instead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and how much of, of going to law school was really that like doctor, lawyer, or failure? And how much of it was your brother's advice to be interested? You know, kind of what was really the kind of impetus to take that path when you had really started down, you know, this kind of other uh persona and and something else that you were interested in? Well, I was a pleaser. So this, the law school
1: definitely was to please my mom and please my aunts and uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters. So they wouldn't make fun of me, scoff at me, laugh at me. You know, I didn't want to be the failure, the loser, the only, you know, I was already the only non-Ivy League, you know, person in my family. Uh, so I had a lot of pressure. Um, so, you know, that pleasing side of me. But there was also the economics. Remember, I was truly driven that money would buy me love and happiness. I was driven by buying that house and that car and so what i did is i re-engineered and i great lesson but i connected the dots backwards later on in my life you know i worked with steve jobs and he would always say connect the dots backwards connect the dots backwards i did it without knowing him i wouldn't found out what the highest paying job out of law school was and it was oil and gas litigator i wouldn't research who had the best maritime law program and had the most kids hired in oil and gas, which was Tulane because they taught civil and common law. So I reversed engineered. I got accepted to Georgetown. I got accepted to USC. Some really great law schools, and I ended up going to Tulane because I wanted to be rich, and I was going to be an oil and gas litigator, which also led to the job that I took out of law school. Because one thing about the goal of being rich is that you always keep your options open for something that pays more, right? Like the I feel sorry for the people that. Think that just because you're passionate about sports, that you have to, you know, start at the sick ticket sales level, you know, you know, with your law degree or you know, some unpaid intern, you know, working for the, the Saints. You know, I feel sorry for those people. The advantage of going ahead and saying I'm gonna, you know, be the free agent of the world. I don't care what I do as long as it pays me a ton of money. Uh, and that's truly what it was. Is I had a lot more options than everybody else. And I ended up making more money than anyone else because I kept that philosophy. So out of law school, I did get an offer for an oil and gas litigator. But I also got a job offer selling legal research online from West Publishing in 1992. And I, I say 92 because people don't understand what the internet was in 92. It was so far from what it is today that my mom actually said the internet was a fad. We had 9,600 baud modems, DOS computers, XT. In, in a luggage cart, I would carry my computer around. There was no laptop, right? I mean, it was a different world. So I took that job because it had a comp plan of two hundred and fifty grand a year at plan, you know? And so I took that job and uh, despite, like I said, just because someone loves you doesn't mean to give you good advice. Despite my mom and everything, they laughed at me, made fun of me, scoffed at me. My own, you know, I was on moot court. I did really well in law school. My law school buddies all in front of me two years later they all asked me for a job because nine months out of law school i made my first million dollars and you know in 95 we were bought out by thompson reuters for 3.4 billion dollars setting my career in a
0: different trajectory one on technology trajectory not just being a lawyer Mm. wow uh first of all, my my wife will be happy to hear the Tulane connection where that's where she went undergrad. And I don't think she was thinking about money. Uh, I think she was thinking about everything else that New Orleans has to offer. but that's my daughter uh, she's there now a senior graduating. oh uh, yeah. well, it's a it's a fun place. we We go to Jazz Fest every year, and I've adopted it as uh, our our own and and love it like so many people. Well, you're do, my new money so. made at Jazz Fest. I go every year as well. Oh, good, sure good. Bread. <laughs> all right, that's great. I love it. Yeah, wonderful. Like, just want to back up the the idea that you are following the influence of the family. You know, your siblings and your aunts and uncles and your mom, who are all kind of valuing this trajectory. Yet, you you somehow have the courage and strength and awareness to really take a very different path. Um, even though I hear you say, you know, you had this idea and this freedom of being a free agent and really following the money, it still took a tremendous amount of courage to believe that that's where the money was because your mom wasn't alone in thinking the internet was a fad. It did look like if you follow the trajectory of your law school buddies, that's where the money was. So, so where did you get the clarity, the awareness, the courage to actually take a different path.
1: Yeah. So there's two things involved there that are really important, especially for entrepreneurs, because I think all great entrepreneurs have to take this path. And the path is, vote for what you want and you'll elect what you want in your life. And the other side of the path is, how can I mitigate risk to please the people so that they don't laugh too hard at you, make too much fun of you and scoff at you too much, especially if you care what they think, which I did. So what I did in, in you know, the courage to me was more on the respect of the internet, like you said, that was courageous, but I mitigated my risk in two ways. One, I uh, took the bar. So I think it's important for people to understand that I never took shortcuts. You know, I, I, gra- I worked really hard in college. Really hard in law school. Even though I never really used my degree, you know, I I was would have been a great litigator and a great lawyer. And I prepared myself with skills, knowledge, and desire throughout the process. But I mitigated risk by taking the bar, which I didn't have to do, but I passed the bar because I was able to say, "Well, if this doesn't work out, I can always go back." Right. So that's where the courage wasn't so great that I gave myself by being prepared and investing in myself. All these options, and even a fallback that, hey, a year from now, if I don't hit the comp plan, I'm gonna be an oil and gas litigator, right? I'm, I'm right back to square one. It just cost me a little bit of time and dummy tax. Now, the interesting one that it allowed me to do as far as pleasing my family was because West Publishing only hired lawyers to sell, even though you didn't need to take the bar, you never practiced law. I had this great thing that my mom was able to tell all the family and all her friends. And I was a corporate lawyer for West Publishing. So he mm-hmm. always avoided the truth and telling the family because she was afraid that she would disappoint raising such a you know risk taker that, like, oh, Dave's a corporate lawyer for West Publishing. Um, and that was the story that we had for, even after I bought my mom a house nine months out of law school, I was a millionaire. That's how I made my money as a corporate lawyer. Uh, mm-hmm. You know the I don't know if your family is like this, there's that gray area of the truth when they're bragging about their kids. I was able to give my mom some widespread gray area because you know my business card said David Meltzer Esquire, you know, West Publishing Corporation. She had cars lying around the house. I I know my mom. She was working in every way, the way that there was always like that Harvard Penn Columbia thing, always lying around, oh yeah, you know, Scott sent me that from Harvard. You know, You're right. You right. Know, but, you know, fair yeah. enough for my mom who made $17,000 a year being a teacher and working two jobs, if that is her reward, right, if, if that's, you know, her touchdown, then go ahead. You know, put, a, put right. up trophies, brag all you want. If that's your yeah. goal, then, you know, I, I gave that. I always tell people I didn't always do things that I wanted to do. I did a lot of things to honor my mom. And I believe when you honor your parents by doing things they want you to do, you receive promotion. And I really still believe that today that you know I do some things for my mom because it's important to her, not to me. Uh, and I receive emotion from honoring her.
0: Yeah, and, and and it's a that's a beautiful lesson. Um, I think we can all learn from to really honor our parents, and and we can honor our own uh, selves and take our own path in our life, and still you know be um, able to give back and love and support and let them have. Uh, a little bit of uh, nahus, as we say, right? <laughs> but let me ask you, um, you know the uh, the 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 advice that you took, or the way that you were kind of mitigating risk now in in hindsight cuz i often share that belief or have you know in the past where i felt like you know don't jump without a parachute kind of thing you know iterate where you are or get a side hustle while you had a job you know that kind of stuff i had always learned and and used and it really did serve me well but i'm not sure how i feel about it now um you know do do you feel like there's some uh, kind of drawbacks or holdbacks in and being so kind of you know risk you know mitigation mode. you know, what do you advise people now to 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 go for it to jump, or really still to kind of be constantly mitigating risk?
1: I think what we're really getting at is time and risk tolerance. Both of us are investors as well. and it's so interesting how many people don't look at the two things that really determine, what your risk is, right? Time and risk tolerance. So when you're young, you know, ironically, that's when you should be all in. Because, you know, th- the truth is I didn't have to mitigate risk. I had nothing to lose. Like what was going to happen to me? I didn't have I was judgment proof. I'd just be right back where I started and I'd start back over. Uh but ironically I have so much more to lose. But yet I believe that the legs feed the lion. And that may not be a direct from one of my favorite movies, Miracle um, and Herb Brooks, but you know, the legs feed the lion. And I tell people all the time if you want more in your life, then get better at what you do today and more opportunities, more options will be available. And I really, you know, I do a lot of executive coaching, as you know, I teach people to have a spine. And so if you look at your opportunities as a spine, it starts getting easier and easier to see not mitigating risks, but how you can enjoy that top of the spine, the lid. So if your primary source of income is at the top of your spine, opportunities are going to avail themselves by being really good at it. The more you lean into that, the more opportunities will exist. Some of those opportunities will use the exact same resources, time, energy, employees, and you can place them right into the spine below, the, you know, that, that primary thing. And it takes very little off of what you're doing. Now, where I've learned, where I used to mitigate risk by having the side hustles and this, is that that actually created, you know, I lost over $100 million in 2008. That caused so much interference, void shortages, obstacles, and emotional, you know, an attention problem to me that this time around, I've created vertebrates where I'll have a partner like Brett, for example, that you have your capabilities, expertise, and all I'm doing is handing off the deal for 10%. Right. And I probably have more channel partners, as they say. I I learned one thing after going bankrupt that I was going to number one, paper all my referral agreements because I I, literally, and I don't do it out of trust. I literally, if we're going to have one, I'd say, Brett, I have a terrible memory. And so I want to make sure that I'm writing down exactly what I promised to do for you. Would you mind me putting it in writing so that we can have that in an agreement so I can remember exactly what I promised? Uh, And so, Two, just not only codifying it, but three, receiving all the help that I give to people and creating that flow that I believe the more I receive, the more I can give, not the more I give, the more I will receive. That was the mom lesson that I learned after I lost everything that created this great shift. I want to receive as much as I can. My motto is make a lot of money to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. But it used to be the more I give, the more I receive. The problem was... I wasn't good at receiving, so I gave it all away, even though I received it, it went right through me to others.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So let's, let's talk. You, you end up with, you, you know, there's a lot there. I want to make sure we cover, you know, the, I don't want to just kind of gloss over the hundred million dollar loss and the bankruptcy. Cause I know that there's tremendous learning and you started to kind of allude to it, but, but before you get to that learning after West Publishing. I know there's a pretty exciting kind of career that takes off in the kind of sports marketing world and, and you're involved in internet tech and and early retirement. I mean, <laughs> talk to me about kind of that stage in your life.
1: Yeah. So I, you know, after the sale, it put me on a different trajectory. So I went up to the Silicon Valley and raised hundreds of millions of dollars in the wireless proxy server space, uh, you know, which is where I learned a superpower, which is not only could I sell, but I could raise money. And that made me very valuable in the Silicon Valley. Uh, I ended up being the CEO of the world's first smartphone, a company, a public company called PC Phone, which was Samsung's first convergence device. I'm so old in 1999, they called smartphones convergence devices because it converged phones and data and all this stuff. Uh, but anyway, I you know, pretty much at 30 I had everything. I married my dream girl from the fourth grade. who hated me almost my entire life because I threw an egg at her and rocks at her and called her ugly uh, <laughs> to you know owning dream houses and golf course, and ski mountains. And uh, you know I used to tell people I semi-retired. Uh, what happened was Samsung became the second largest manufacturer of phones and the job outgrew me. I right? no longer early on my skill set was suited to be a young CEO because being a CEO of a tech company early on in 99 2000 etc was really about you know promoting selling raising money it wasn't about you know running an organization you know at 32 there's a lot to learn about running an organization so i transitioned out of there became an investor myself real estate stocks businesses, learned so much. Uh, but I will tell you, there was a couple lessons in there before I lost everything. Um, number one, I grew up in a world of not enough. If anyone has ever been to Akron, Ohio, I did. I was jealous of everyone. I couldn't understand why people had nice houses, cars, dads. I wanted everything that I wanted. I was a victim. Uh, and then nine months out of law school, when I was a millionaire, I started living in what I call the world of just enough. And instead of everything happening to me as a victim, it started happening for me. And I thought that because things happened for me, that not only was I an optimist, but I was a good person because I was giving away all of the things that I would receive and it happened for me. And the problem was in that world of just enough, there was just enough for me. And I started buying things I didn't need, especially to impress people I didn't like. And I think at the core, that world, you know, came to a head first when I was thirty years old. Got married. My dad, who left when I was five, was my hero till I was ten. And I realized when he forgot my birthday and told me he didn't believe in birthdays and lied to me that my dad was a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, back end seller, an overseller. And I really hated him. And I didn't hang out with him. I did And at thirty, I wanted a relationship with my father. I just got married. He gave me a birthday present for twenty years. And this was the first warning sign that I was lost. He gave me a birthday present, a beautiful sport coat. And when I opened it, I was so happy. I was crying. I opened up the jacket to see if it was Armani or especially made for David Meltzer because it fits so perfectly. No, he had ripped out all the lining and pockets. I got furious. I called him. I said, Dad, why are you punishing me on my 30th birthday? You know, it's been hard enough for 20 years. And he said, I'm not punishing you. He said, i I want to teach you a lesson. That jacket's not for, for wearing. I'm like, what, what's it for? He said, go it in your closet and remind yourself that money doesn't buy love. Money doesn't buy happiness. Remind yourself you can't take anything with you when you're gone. Save that jacket to be buried in. Don't be the richest man in the cemetery. Don't be like me, Dave. You can do better. And I looked you know, on the phone. I said, I'm nothing like you. I remember it distinctly. You're a liar. You're a cheater. You're a manipulator. Back and forth. You, you're, I'm nothing like you. I hate you. And I hung up at 30. That may not sound significant, but it will be because this story had two other warning signs. Years later, in 2006, uh, I was on top of the world. I was running Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment, most notable sports agency in the world. They made the movie Jerry Maguire about our firm. Uh, we were involved. We had access to everything and everyone. It was an amazing thing. People died to even meet with us or ha- have my job. You know, It was incredible. Meanwhile, I go take my best friend, Rob, who actually asked my wife to go study for me at sixth grade camp, which caused me to throw the egg at her because she said no in front of everyone. So anyway, Rob, Rob and I are playing golf. And I asked him, hey, would you like to go to the Masters? I'm going to be going with Shannon Sharp and Chris Carter. And we're going to go to the cabins with Chris Strange. And it's an extraordinary... You know, this is the way my life is rolling, right? Yeah. And Rob, I Rob, Rob always say, there's a book called Don't Don't Take Yes for an Answer. Rob was the only true friend I had because I've been taking yes for an answer from everybody. Everybody, you know, was following in line, just like an athlete. And I said, Rob, you want to go? He said, I don't want to go. I said, what, why will not you want to go with me? He said, because I don't like... <laughs> who who you go with and what you do. I said, come on, Rob, I'm not doing what those guys are doing. You know, he looked at me and said, David, you can lie to me all you want, but stop lying to yourself. I'm worried about you. I got mad at him, left. I was crying in the car. I remember driving home, so upset because Rob told me the truth and I couldn't accept it. Two weeks later, my life changed. And this is probably the most powerful lesson that I've ever learned. Two weeks later, I went to the Grammy Awards uh, with a rapper named Little John. And we, we you know, I lied to my wife. I, she didn't want me to go. I had three daughters under 10. She said, you're partying too much. You're hanging out with friends too much. You need to stay home. You don't need to go to the Grammy Awards with Little John. Well, I ended up, you know, pouring Jägermeister off the stage at the House of Blues and out till 5.30 in the morning, completely wasted. I came home and there was my wife. And she let me know she wasn't happy. She had got off the yes train and I got mad at her. I was like, what are you talking about? She said, you better take stock in who you are and what you want to become because you're not the man I married and you're going to end up dead. I'm out of here. I said, are you kidding me? Who do you think you're talking to? Are you kidding me? Look around you, cars and houses and nannies. Who do you think you're talking? How dare you? I remember just telling her right in the morning, I went to bed. You'd think I'd wake up in some rational state, what an idiot I was, but I did. I woke up ready to get divorced. I was going to call my friends. I went to law school, get the hardest-hitting divorce lawyer. I believe money bought happiness and love. I was going to take all her happiness and love away. And then my life changed. Looked over in the closet. It's just like that book you haven't seen for 20 years that sits on your shelf. It calls out at you. A jacket. It just called out to me. It was sitting there, and I'm looking at it. I just started to cry. Still get choked up because it was so significant. looking at it going my dad's not a liar a cheater manipulator i am i freaking everything i hate about my dad i hate about myself rob was right my wife is right i'm not who i used to be i'm not happy i'm tired of this and that's when i started outlining what later became my first book but values that i was going to live by and it changed and saved my life ironically I bottomed out two years before I lost everything in 2008. So I was well prepared. You know, The financial uh, failure was nothing compared to what I experienced in 2006. And it, that, of course, has helped me over the last 14 years You know, build my main mission, which is empower others to empower others to be happy by
0: making a lot of money,
1: helping a lot of people, and having a lot of fun. Mm.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's a great, great whole bunch of learning and, and stories and lessons and... I really appreciate you sharing kind of all of that, you know, vulnerably. I think that's part of, you know, what I'm really passionate about and why we're doing this podcast is for people to hear those stories, that truth, that those, those challenges, the weaknesses, the stories that you took on, the not enoughness and how that plays out and how we can get attached to it, how we can really, you know, let it run our life unconsciously. And for you to share all of that really is very honorable and and much appreciated. And and I can see still, you know, and and you even said, you know, the emotion is still there. The the you know that those aren't things you just kind of don't forget. And and when they they come up, they're they're they were really hard and impactful moments. And again, you know, thank you for for sharing that. And I'm kind of curious. You know, you in you're in that kind of bottom out, and you start to write the values, and you decide this is just not the life that you feel you're meant to to lead. Yet there's this kind of a uh, couple years later, this this bankruptcy that happens. I mean, sometimes we don't get to decide that we want to change, and, and the world just you know starts to. Uh, unfold how we want, you know. Sometimes, you know, it says, you know, maybe you're not done yet with with the learning. So, talk me through, you know. And by the way, you know, I, I we could spend days talking about the Lee Steinberg experiences and 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 the, the wildness of all of that, you know. But I think it's more important to to focus on, you know, how you continue to shift and learn and 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 get into what you're doing today.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because you. Bring up I'm still emotional about it because I'm still living with snapshots of what I what I created right and I tell people all the time you know don't be resentful or offended by people that have a certain snapshot about you right you can try to re-engineer their vision but it takes more energy to re-engineer someone that thinks something of you one person than to encourage and to be around the thousand people that think what you are like or, or change the, or create that so for me everything is a snapshot and uh, I had to deal with a lot of snapshots. I had, you know, done stupid things. I, I, I was so ego-driven. I felt like minus. I believed everything that people were telling me. Ended up, you know, not asking for help, over-leveraging myself, not understanding finance. You know, my wildest dreams, you know, I was going through a lawsuit to prove I was right. You know, someone had sold me a conversion without white paper. And I didn't know what I was doing, but my ego told me I could handle it a whole mess that i was in but i remember shockingly going to my private bank and you know hey you know i need 10 million dollars and thinking you know i have over 40 million dollars in equity and stuff that i have right there's no way i I can't just run this and my lines were canceled the bank was going under you know the world was changing in 2008 and i wasn't liquid right and i'm trying to sell and like You know, 33 homes, a golf course, a ski mountain, things are moving really fast for you. And, uh, you know, it, it was a great lesson of humility of not knowing what you don't know, being able to ask that magic question, do you know anybody that can help me? Even through the process when I knew, you know, the stuff was hitting the fan, I didn't ask anybody for help. You know, I could have went to some finance guy that had 30 years experience, a variety of different people. No, I hung on to my ego. Would be so embarrassed if I lost everything? What would my mom think and everyone think, right? Here I was going to end up doctor, lawyer, or what? Failure. And it, it hit me hard. Let me tell you three little quick stories. One, I had to go tell Lee Steinberg and Warren Moon, uh, my business partners. Well, Lee Steinberg hired me for one reason, because one of the great attributes of being CEO of Lee Steinberg is 75% of athletes go bankrupt. I was so financially successful, he used me as the icon that I would be the trusted person to advise who and how to keep their money, right? Not as a financial advisor, but as an icon, right, of the firm that, you know, here's how we take care of you at every level. you got the grandfather of African-American quarterbacks. you got Dave Meltzer, Midas. you got Lee Steinberg, the creator of Sports Agency, you know, Jerry Maguire. We were the dream team, right? Now, meanwhile, I have to go tell those guys, sorry, I'm bankrupt. I'm kind of losing credibility in the job that you hired before, but bless them—you know—they didn't care. And then back Warren, you know, him and I, when he had his alcohol problems, spun off. He asked me to be his partner uh, in Sports One Marketing, the, the marketing and media company we created over a decade ago. The scarier one is this: so after processing all this, I have two years to learn these values. The universe loves to test you. So through the bankruptcy, I start realizing that the only reason I wanted to be rich was to buy my mom a house and a car. So I realized that I never took my mom's house out of my name. Mm. I had to go tell my mom, not only was I bankrupt, but she was moving. (laughs) Mm,
0: mm,
1: mm. I I lost her house. Talk about a test. And then finally, first check from Lee, he kept me on when I went bankrupt. We're living now in a rented house with rented furniture, one car, three daughters under 10 years old. After living, as you know what it's like to live with everything, anything that you want. To go to that is a major change. Uh, It was worse than living in Akron, Ohio because of the change. And I brought that first check home, the new David Meltzer, and I asked my wife, who went to the same high school as I did. I said, would you mind if I gave a portion of this to give a kid a scholarship to college from our high school? I never would have went to college without a scholarship. My siblings all got scholarships. Would you be okay with that? And my wife started to cry and she said, oh my gosh. You finally get it. You finally trust the universe. And I said, I do. I totally do. I'm so excited about our lives together. And I'm sorry for what I've done. She looked at me and she said, then double it. And I looked at her. And I was like, no, don't trust the universe that much. (laughs) And, And I think that's the most important part of my story because no matter where you are, I'm still practicing all this stuff. I'm still a big, fat hypocrite. And three, I'm still dealing with the blending of where the pragmatic currency of money with my faith. And I'm trying to work through that and how those things are relational to each other to keep me happy. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Also, really great kind of uh, honesty and, and, and truth and truth. And humility, you know, because it is a work in progress. And I think we all struggle with this. You know, I I know for myself there's been many of kind of signs from the universe or intuitive feelings, things I feel I should do and and have kind of started to even kind of shifting this work into the podcasting and coaching and other kind of investing, non-real estate driven stuff that I've been doing there's a tough kind of pool there where you're like, I don't know if I want to really go all in on that. I don't know if I want to leave that. That has provided me. And so there's that mitigation and that dance that you kind of constantly do with this universal energy that feels like it's really right and powerful and true, yet the stories and attachments and all the programming that you've taken onto this place. So, you know it's good to to hear that despite you know the bankruptcies and despite the hard lessons and learnings from your friends and family that that you have made the shift you really have transformed into a new way of being and yet you know there's constantly still that battle.
1: Yeah, it's important. I talk about enjoying the consistent every day, persistent without quit, keeping your own potential, and the practice. Of quieting, the practice of taking inventory of your values, the practice of ending fear. I always use the word practice because it takes practice, and you're never, you know, going to get to perfection. I would say progress, not perfection, and that's what I look for in my own life. And it, the core values, you know, to me are gratitude, which gives you perspective. You find the light, the love, and the lessons, and everything. Because, as you and I both know, because we have lived blessed lives, Brett, there's still suck in our lives. And I've been around celebrities, athletes, entertainers, billionaires, entrepreneurs. There's a per- percentage of suck in all their lives, too. And the people that do well are the ones that have gratitude, meaning they find the light, love, and the lessons the suck. And they pay the rest and appreciate the rest with gratitude. Forgiveness is crucial. It gives me peace. I always do it myself so I can forgive others. Nobody deserves my forgiveness. I deserve it. Accountability was a really big one for me because I literally... Was in blame, shame, and justification. Nothing was my fault. And when I started asking myself, "What did I do to attract this to myself?" and most importantly, "What am I supposed to learn from it?" Pain is an indicator to me now. You no, know, pain is not a punishment. Pain to me is an indicator that I have a lesson to learn. Mental, spiritual, emotional, financial pain—it's just telling me like a turn signal. Hey, brother, you got to turn in a different direction to get to a better place or better make your place better. And then finally, understanding this world of more than enough inspiration, understanding that I'm already connected to this great source of light, love, and lessons. And my job is to take away the interference of it. And not only between me and the light, love, and lessons that I'm connected to, but I'm also connected to everything else. A tree has no branches. One branch should not fight against another branch. So what my idea in the the shift of that inspiration was, How well can I clear that corrosion between the source of light, love, and lessons, allow it to come through me with gratitude, appreciation, but also appreciation and respect that I'm going to add value to it and give it away to everything and everyone I'm connected to. That flow of receiving to give changed my entire life combined with gratitude, empathy, forgiveness, and of course, accountability.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's really great. I mean, I'm just kind of thinking about, you know, my own life and what I've uh, heard from you today about kind of this, you know, learning from everything. You know, I I say nothing is bad, nothing is wrong. um, And forgiveness has been so critical. And part of the reason I'm able to forgive my father and embrace, you know, life for what it is and what it's not is because I have seen how it has taught me. And so I really appreciate you saying that the way that you have, that there is this learning and this gratitude and, and that that's really kind of what fuels you. And And now that you're using that energy to, as you say, empower over 1 billion people to be happy, talk a little bit about, obviously, you've Climb back from the rented house in that low point, that you know, uh, worse than Akron experience, as you said. Uh, you know, you you climb I guess back. Kill me for that. <laughs> I know, I know, and well, I, and I can't. You know, I've got to apply the the gratitude for Akron too, right? Because yeah, well, they, you
1: know, have they have Swenson. They have Swenson, so it's <laughs> the curve.
0: I was just gonna say we we have Swenson's now in Columbus, so uh, <laughs> it's awesome. But, um, you know, yeah, we can we can find the things to be gratitude. Swenson's will be at the top of the list. but but tell me a little bit about kind of the return to the success that you've had and what you're doing now to really fulfill that mission to empower over a billion people to be happy,
1: yeah. So for me, you know understanding that, I have a capability by doing five things a day to empower others, to empower others. So if I can find a thousand Brett Kaufman's in the world to teach a thousand other people who will teach a thousand other people, these five things of how to be happy, uh, we're going to create a collective consciousness of abundance, more than enough, and the world will change. So humbly speaking, my change has empowered me that I can change the world. And I don't say that out of arrogance, I say that out of abundance, that I know I can find a thousand Brett Kaufmans and I know that you're capable of empowering another thousand to empower another thousand. That's a billion people, a thousand times a thousand million. And so once I got the math down and got the system down, here's the five quick things that that I teach that have allowed me to get back in a different way. One, take inventory of your values. So every day I take inventory of my values, personal experience with giving and receiving, and I'm not afraid of being a hypocrite. I'm not afraid of saying I don't know what I don't know or I change my mind. Second, most importantly to me, I learned to ask. You know, ironically, the two things that people say that I've changed their life the most with is advice I got when I was three years old from my grandma. Number one, ask for what you want, and two, say thank you for it. Right. People tell me I changed their whole life because I taught them to ask two things of how to be of service or value. And two, most importantly, do you know anyone that can help me, especially today? Because people know about a thousand people, every single one. So if you're not asking every day in person on the phone, email, and social media, radio, print, TV, do you know anyone that can help me? You're missing out on an exponential acceleration of what you want. And also, of course, the easier ones to ask how you can be of service or value. One of the other areas is being a student of my calendar. I'm extremely focused on time. I believe there's a mathematical equation of luck, and that is attention plus intention equals coincidence. There's the mathematical equation to luck. So I apply the lens of productivity, how productive or valuable or value I'm providing, the lens of accessibility, how accessible am I to others, and how am I accessing what I want, receiving, and, of course, the lens of gratitude. Am I able to find the light, the love, and the lessons and everything? If I'm using that Meltzer kaleidoscope to study attention plus intention, the things I have planned, the things I don't have planned in my sleep, I'm going to kill it. And I'm going to make more money, help more people and have more fun. I don't believe in work. I believe in activity I get paid for, activity I don't get paid for. I believe two minutes a day is worth more than two hours on a Saturday. So seven days a week, I take vacation and seven days a week I have activity I get paid for. And I prioritize my health first, my family second, and student being a student of the universe or my calendar, especially third, fourth. The easiest one to change your life, and the differentiator between successful and unsuccessful people, do it now. One hundred percent of the things you do now get done. Successful people get things done. Unsuccessful people don't. It's that simple. So if you just ask yourself, "Can I do it now and do it?" You're going to be exponentially more successful and statistically successful and then finally we went over this but i have a lifelong practice of being a ferocious buddha i practice ending fear identifying what i'm afraid of not accelerating in the wrong direction creating void shortages obstacles interference but stopping like it takes a ferocious person to do and then breathing through my nose out through my mouth to be a buddha to find that center that neutrality that allows me to what roll in the right trajectory towards what i want so many people they're in their own way this is the definition of getting out of your way. to Practice ending fear to stop creating void shortages and obstacles. If you just took the amount of time, money, and emotion and resources that you wasted just with the need to be offended, which is one of the easiest. If, we, if the need to feed people could be fed as easily the need to be offended, you step outside with the need to be offended, it'll take you 0.1 seconds to be offended, I promise you. But we waste time, resources, emotion, and money with all the needs of the egos. If you just practice number five, I promise you your happiness quotient will go off the charts and you'll start manifesting everything you desire in life and business.
0: Mm, Wow. Okay. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this episode um, because there's just an infinite amount of wisdom and lessons and really... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and i'm fortunate enough to be able to call you and talk about this kind of stuff so it's been great to have your support as i'm moving into this space and i love what you're doing and i love this idea that you know you're vacationing and working every day you know it reminds me of the kind of chateaubriand quote of you know the master of the art of living right you can't tell if you know you're working or 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 if it's you know labor of love or 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 what, so uh, it's a beautiful picture that you've described, and I believe it, and I've seen it, um, and and I love the the math on the thousand times a thousand. I think that's something that often people uh, don't really kind of understand that you really can break these uh, goals down into really. Uh, numbers that you can comprehend and all of a sudden it feels like wow like a billion people I know how to do that and if I break down the thousand over a 10-year period or 20-year period or whatever it is that that's actually achievable
1: Uh, like entrepreneurs telling me they want financial freedom I always joke around if entrepreneurs were builders we all live in tents
0: (laughs) (laughs) right Right, because that's just not something they've kind of you know broken down and described. You know how to how to make it happen. Good, David. Tell me uh, before we start to wrap up, uh, what what do you want the listeners to know about what you're doing, what you're offering? You know, some of the um, free Friday training sessions, anything that you know you want to make sure you share.
1: And my, my trainings are all free. My books are free. My exercises, my guides are free. Uh, please, I got a pitch competition. I bless my, my new pitch shows being picked up by Bloomberg. It's on Reach TV as well. So the two-minute drill just took it to the next level. So if anybody wants to try out for the pitch competition for free, if they want a free training every Friday or watch the playbook replays for free, the exercises guide or my book for free, there's just my direct email. I answer myself. I'm very efficient. David at dmelzer.com. You may not get a uh, really long answer, but you will get an answer from me if you email, Uh, but they're from me. And then I have a text community that we all text each other 949-298-2905. But every Friday, if you come live, we have over 15,000 people registered last week alone. It's a great community. We are teaching, you know, how to deal with negativity, ultimate ego, pitch, you know, 5 to Thrive sales system, anything pragmatic to spiritual. And there's always some Q&A. Once a month, I do a BYOQ, bring your own questions. So I am giving it all for free. I would say if it's free, it's me. Now it's for you too. Uh, so
0: please yeah, join me. Thank you, David. Thank you for joining me, sharing that story. And again, I just want to applaud you for sharing all of it. That's exactly what we're trying to do on the Gravity Podcast to share the full journey. And I love kind of how you've landed. And I know it's going to continue to evolve. And it's awesome to be able to share the journey with you and have you here today. Well, tracking people like you in my life is obvious
1: evidence that I'm doing the right thing. So thanks for having me on
0: Gravity. Yeah, you're too kind. Wonderful. David, thanks again. Got it. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at the Gravity Podcast music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak